again. This is Pastor Brown coming to you from Akron, Ohio, Akron Alliance Fellowship Church. It's indeed a, a joy to be with you. You know, I, I don't know who's all maybe hearing these messages or, or sharing them, but I pray that they're a blessing to you and, and that they challenge you and that they help you to see life differently and that the Holy Spirit can truly minister to you. We're on this topic right now. Are you convinced that Scripture is true? And are you convinced that Scripture talks about you, about us, and it helps us to identify who we are in Christ? If you are a believer... You are hid in Christ Jesus. And you are a new creature because of Christ. Everything about you is different. But at the same time, you're discovering that which is different. And I pray that you would believe that scripture is going to help develop the character and the new person that God desires to really use and minister through. And God wants to bless us. He wants to use us for his glory. And I pray that you allow scripture to help you through that, that you can truly identify that. I want you to look with me, if you would, please, today. We're going to look at... Uh, Peter, and, and we're going to look at Paul. Both of these men had to see themselves in a different light. Believing, but yet no change is taking place, you have to ask why. Because Scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, that's the one part. But he says, behold. The old is doing something. It's passing away. And all things are becoming new. That God is changing our mind. He's changing our attitude. He's changing our behavior. And praise God is not all at once. It'd be too much of a shock for us. But he's working in us, and that's why he tells us that he who has begun a good work in us will continue it until the day of Christ. Because it's going to be a lifelong work that God's doing in our life. been walking with the Lord since I was in my 20s, not early 20s, maybe the later 20s, and... 76 years old now and still walking, but God is still working in my life. I'm not the perfect person yet. I still struggle. I still have my faults. I still fall down sometimes. But I'm so thankful he said that the righteous shall fall seven times, but seven times they shall arise. And... There's times I do look back, but I'm so thankful also Scripture keeps 
may focus on the future, not the past. God wants to work in our lives. So let's pray and let's look at Peter and Paul and let's see if we can pull out some nuggets and understand the work that God did in their life, but them also accepting that work that is being done in their life. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness unto us, that you are a faithful God who will not leave us the way in which you have found us, but that, Lord, you're going to work in our lives. You're going to build us up. You're going to make us men and women who are honored and highly respected. You're going to make us into counselors. You're going to make us into encouragers. You're going to make us, oh God, in a people who are kind to others. You're going to help us, Lord, to learn how to speak in such a way to people that, Lord, it brings them in, not push them away. And Lord, you have much work to do in our lives. May we learn to yield and may we learn to accept the change that you bring about in our lives that you might use us for your glory. Now I pray, Father, you open your word to us and that your Holy Spirit might minister to us. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for you're truly worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Peter is in this area where, yes, the Lord is dealing with him and helping him to recognize who he is in Christ. And sometimes we have to slow up and we have to push back and we have to really ask the question, okay, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing? And allow scripture to begin to define us or to reveal our new identity that is in Christ. Now, we talked about it that, yes, uh, Scripture is there for a purpose. It's there to encourage us. It's there to strengthen us. And it's there to give us a future where we're not stuck in our past, but it helps open up a future for us that we can see it very clearly. But what we have oftentimes in Christianity is an identity crisis. Am I living in the old world or am I living in the new? Am I trying to live this old life and this new life? And we get it all confused. And let me share something with you. You have to be willing to leave your old life and embrace the new life. Now, the new life at first may not be exactly what you want. It may not as, seem as exciting or thrilling. But let me share something with you. It's an amazing life. And you'll be surprised what God pours into you and how he develops you. And I'm willing to say this to you. 
you won't know you because of the work that God does in us. When you go to Matthew chapter 16, and you come into verse 17, well, we want to back up a little bit. Because Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Uh, because everybody has an opinion about him. But he wants his people to know that he is the Son of God, that he is God. He wants his people to know who he is. And sometimes we're confused on that. And he's going to congratulate Peter, but he's going to allow Peter also to recognize, Peter, this was not of you. This is of my Father from heaven. Now, I guess Peter's saying, what is he talking about? But that answer that comes from Peter did not come from Peter per se, though it was spoken through Peter's mouth. It was something that was put into Peter by the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit speaking it now through Peter. So the scripture starts off in this fashion, in verse 13 in chapter 16 of Matthew. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, listen to how direct the Lord gets. He brings them now to a place, who is it that you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And that's what's important. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that's going to have an indication on how you see yourself. If Jesus is a nobody and Jesus is a nothing and Jesus is not important, then there's nothing about your life that Jesus can make an impact upon. And it's not important. But listen to them. And listen to Peter here. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, now, stay with me, because, see, something's going to be shared about Peter that maybe have never been shared before in Peter's life. Maybe nobody else has ever said this to Peter. Maybe nobody's never said this to you. Because people saw Peter as a fisherman, as a boatman. As a smelly old fisherman, that was his job. It's like a plumber. It's like a carpenter. That's who they are. And that Peter here is this smelly old fisherman. If you're a fisherman, you go out and you're fishing all day long, and you've been taking fish off the hook and, and, and rubbing them and so forth, you, when you come home, you're going to smell a little fishy. You have that little odor there. 
And people saw Peter in such a light. And others may have seen him in a different light. This is an uneducated man. This is just a man who goes out in a boat and fish. Well, just because you fish doesn't mean that you're uneducated. A lot of jobs that we may do doesn't mean that somebody not educated. And that's a huge, broad, sweeping statement. We're educated in different ways, in different things. You could take a scientist that don't know a thing about fishing, couldn't feed himself if he had to, if he was out on the water, couldn't catch a fish, wouldn't know first thing of what to do, even if he got a fish on the hook. Somebody else may have to bring it in for him. What I'm just trying to say is this. Let's not downgrade someone's intellectual state. Everybody has a talent or are gifted in something that makes them a little different. And uh, I want you to not so much play down on Peter as one who is uneducated because Peter reveals that he's a very intelligent individual if you follow him through scripture. But people knew him in this way and as a menial laborer. He, he wasn't a very important laborer. Well, to eat and to me, that's a very important thing. Uh, a farmer may not have all the degrees, but he knows his dirt. He knows his seed. He knows how to plant it. He knows when to pick it. He's educated in a different manner, a different way. And he's very important. But in that verse 17, again, I want to bring your attention. Jesus is going to say something to Peter that may have never been said to him before. And I want you to also ask yourself, have anybody ever said to you what's going to be said to Peter? Because, see, this is said to Peter because how Peter responded. But he responded not with just Peter, but with what had been given to him. And Peter at that moment may not have really recognized the richness of what was given to him. So it says in that verse 17, it says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, I wonder who went around and ever told Peter, Peter, you're blessed. Peter, you're blessed. You are a blessed fisherman. You are a blessed. Now imagine Peter may have been stung with that word blessed. But yet, the scripture says, Jesus said, Peter, you're blessed. Now the question is to understand, why is Peter blessed? He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. You're blessed because whether you recognize it or not, Peter, my Father in heaven has revealed something to you that you are speaking. And we need to recognize that's so important. That God drops 
things at times into our minds, into our hearts, and they come out. And we're blessed because God has chosen us to drop that seed, to drop that thought, to drop that thing into our hearts and our mind, and we are able to speak it. And he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. But by my Father. You're blessed. Because the Father is dealing with you, Peter. You're blessed. My Father is speaking to you. I was telling a young man the other day, who was out car shopping with my nephew and got into a conversation with the salesman. And the question I asked him is, do you go to church? And he said, what's that? And that opened up a whole new ball. And he said, um, no, I don't believe you have to go to church to worship. Uh, I don't believe in brick and mortars. And uh, I can worship at home. And I let him talk for a little bit. And I told him, you can worship God anywhere. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God out, out, out in the field. But that's not church. You can worship, but you're not doing church. See, somehow we have gotten to a place that we think we can do church by ourselves. And I explained to him about church and the purpose of church in a sense that the scripture tells us, don't, to for, don't forsake ourselves in coming together. Don't stop coming together. Don't forsake that. That is rich. That is important. And I might have to do a message just on that area of the church. But it's important that we don't downplay church. And I hate to say this, but Christians are sometimes the worst critical individuals of our church. And we forget church is not made up of perfect people, but imperfect people. And we can get down on church. But that's what God has ordained as the instrument to carry this gospel to the world. It's the church. I better get off that a little bit or we're starting to something now. But the thing is that is important here, I shared with him, is not about church. It's about you recognizing you've had an experience with God. He said, oh, I have to see God? Nope. But you have to see the actions of God in your life. And I asked him, have you ever Recognize something that you yourself know was not because of you or anyone else. And yet, it happened and it was beneficial for you or your family. And the question I would ask you to uh, answer, who did that? 
your mom, your dad, your brother-in-law, whoever. No human being really did that. But somehow that door was open. Somehow this thing was provided. And my question is, who did that? And that's the Father at work in our life, whether a believer or unbeliever. Because God says it's the kindness of God that draws us. And we need to understand that. And God is drawing Peter. And he gives Peter this knowledge, this wisdom, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter makes that statement, but it comes through the Father. Not really knowing that he's experiencing something from the Father until Jesus clarifies it for him. That Peter, this was not of man, but this was of my Father who is in heaven. I imagine that may have shocked Peter and threw Peter for a loop for a moment. What are you talking about? This is from your Father in heaven. Uh, this came from my mouth. This came, and what Jesus is trying to say to Peter, Peter, this was not your ideal. This was not something you came up with. This is something that has been made clear to you. And you're only repeating that, which God the Father has made clear in your mind, in your consciousness of who I am, that I am the Christ, and I am the Son of God. And it didn't come from man. It comes from my Father. I imagine that through Peter for a loop and... Peter would have never thought he would have been used in such a way by the Father. And Jesus says, Peter, you're blessed. You're blessed over what just took place. You're blessed. Now, many people do not see themselves blessed. Or do they see themselves with the possibility of being blessed or that they're able to be blessed? Because they look at their lives and they say, no, no, uh, I'm not worthy of that. No, that can't happen to me. Uh, let me share something with you. If you take another breath, you're blessed. God has blessed you to take that breath and to have life. Now, we don't want to acknowledge that because we think that's just the thing that's supposed to happen. But one day it will cease. One day it will stop. And you will be no more. So we all are blessed in the simplest ways that we sometimes just take for granted. And we just do it automatically as though it's something that's going to continue to happen every day for us. And we don't see that we're blessed. And what Jesus wanted Peter to see, you're blessed by the Father, by the information he just gave you. That I am the Christ. And I am the Son of God. You're blessed. 
Now, Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom in verse 19. Go there with me just for a moment. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He didn't only give him the keys to heaven, he gave him authority. Now, wait a minute. This is just a fisherman. This is not a highly religious, educated person. He spends most of his time out on the water, not on the land. This is not someone who is constantly talking to people. He spent his time out there on the water catching fish, bringing them into the market, and most likely sells them to somebody there in the market, and he's back out on the lake again. But yet, Jesus is going to give him authority. And some people, when they're given authority, don't know how to use authority. But you got to know from which that authority comes from. And that authority that is being given to Peter comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys also. I imagine Peter have never felt so built up or put in such a position of honor. He didn't know how to respond. But Jesus is also saying to Peter, here's the responsibility you're going to have in your new life. You're going to open the doors for people. And we see that with Cornelius. We see Peter doing that with the Gentiles in the book of Acts. That he's opening the doors through the gospel, which is the key in the sense that has been given to Peter. And he says, Peter, I'm going to give you these things. And imagine Peter really didn't know how to act. And then come back to verse 18 with me. Look at what he says in 18. And this is so important. And I tell you that you are Peter. Not just Simon, but now Peter. And here's a little name change. Here's something different. You are now Peter. Letting Peter know, or Simon know, there's a change that's taking place. And I want you to see that also with Saul, whose name is going to be changed to Paul. That there's a change taking place. Now, that doesn't mean your name has to change. But the authority that will be given to you, the responsibility that's going to be given to you, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's going to be given to you, the new life that's going to be given to you, all that is going to change every one of us. Now, <clears throat> Peter has to really believe what's being said, or he has to discount it. Peter can say, okay, uh, no, you're just a common everyday man. 
I'm not going to have, be a person of authority. I'm not going to loose and bound anything. I'm not going to have any keys. I'm not going to be anything special about me. I'm not really blessed. <clears throat> Peter either had to believe what Jesus was saying or discount it as nothing. And you and I have to make that same decision. That we really believe what Jesus is saying about us. And you may say, well, what is Jesus saying about us? He's telling us. You were once this. In 1 Corinthians 6. You were once this. This is how you once behaved. You're no longer going to be that thief. You're no longer going to be that crooked individual. You're not going to be that immoral person. You're not going to be that homosexual person. You're not going to be that in First Corinthians 6. Because he said, you all once were. And he makes a list of things that he's talking about. And that this is what you once were. And he says, you're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. You may have been a prostitute at one time. You're not that anymore. You may have been a deadbeat dad. You're not that anymore. You may have been someone who didn't see or have much respect for themselves. You're not that anymore. You've been changed. You've been blessed. And you've been given a new life with responsibility, godly responsibility, and authority. And he says, you will be called Peter in that verse 18. Now, <clears throat> Peter's perception of himself has to change. And when we truly become saved and start getting to the scriptures, our perception of ourself must change. How we once may have seen ourselves we begin to see ourselves differently and we see ourselves in the light of Scripture, not in the light of the world of what you once were. A friend of mine, he has some pictures of us when we used to have our little drinks and have our stuff sitting out and and uh, we were at the little parties in the basement and uh, but that's before I knew Christ. Now that I know Christ, you won't find alcohol in my house, really. You won't find me sitting around drinking. Uh, you won't find me smoking. There's things that have changed. You don't hear me cussing. Uh, you find me home on Friday night and Saturday night. There are those things that have changed. And <clears throat> understand something. I wasn't born out of my mother's womb as a Christian. Neither were you. And that's why the scripture talks about being born twice. Being born by their human parents and then being born of the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that. 
that just like as we were born into one life, we are also born into a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why John speaks about being born from above, not here on the earthly plane, but being born from above. And Peter now has to see himself differently. And that's so hard for us to do because we get so trenched into our present life that it's hard for us to even perceive life differently than what it really is. And what God is saying, I want to change your life. Now, three things you have to be certain of. If you say that you're a Christian, you have to be convinced that these three things have taken place in your life. 1, 2 Corinthians 5.17 That that has really taken place. And you've heard me quote it, but let's go there. And 5, 2 Corinthians 5.17 That's it first. 2 Corinthians 5.17 he, he wants us to be certain of this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, remember what I started off with? That if you're born again, you're in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he goes on and he says, he is a new creation. There's something different about you. And you may take a little time trying to figure that out, that there is something that's really happened in my life. And I am different. And you should be able to recognize it. You should know it. You should see it. And you should sense that you don't enjoy the same things you once enjoyed. The things you once did, you no longer really want to do. And he says, He is a new creature. Now, now listen carefully. The old has gone. The old is going. And the scripture says, it's gone. Why? It's going. You may be moving stuff out of your house, but it's gone. Because that house that you're moving stuff out of is no longer yours. It's really everything's gone. It's just taking you time to move it. And that's what it is in life. The old life is really gone. You're no longer destined to hell. You are not destined to heaven. Now we're moving the stuff out of the way that the new stuff can come in. That's going to be fitting for your new home. And... He is a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. The new has already come. Now, I want you to go with me to Galatians also in chapter 2 because you need to be able, again, I want you to understand that you should be able to recognize it. And it's something that you should be able to see for yourself. And, And Paul makes this statement. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
that you see that you are no longer the person you used to be. And Paul said, I no longer live. Now, now catch the rest of it. But Christ lives in me. Is that a reality in your life? Is Christ really living in you? Do you sense his presence? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do everything right. But what it does mean is this. When you do wrong, you kind of know it. There's something inside that kind of like grinds at you, tightens up. You know it. You hear that voice inside that comes through the scripture. And he simply says, but Christ lives in me. If Christ is not in you, then the Holy Spirit is not in you. And if the Spirit is not in you, then you're none of his. You're none of his. You may be as religious and spiritual and you can do this and you can do that, but believe me, according to the authority of Scripture, you're none of his. Unless you can really recognize that Christ is living in you. And Paul was recognizing that it was Christ living in him, the Christ life through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is producing this Christ life, this Christ person in us. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, Peter had to exercise some faith. Paul was going to have to exercise some faith. Is this true? See, faith is what allows us to believe in Scripture. It's humanly impossible for you with just your own little rational mind to accept scripture and believe it. That's why in Romans it tells us that God has given every person a measure of faith because it takes faith to respond to scripture, not intellect per se. Intellect helps me understand it. But faith brings the reality of it into being in my life. That I can believe scripture and act upon it in faith. Now, the second thing you need to understand is this. You have been given a new nature. That you're a different person. You're not the same person. But you are different. It's strange that some people do recognize that they are troubled. And sometimes we tell them even, well, it wasn't really you who did it, but something else in you did it. 
if we can recognize that on an earthly plane and sometime be excused because it was not so much you who did it, but something else. And I'm a little reluctant to say this other person in you, but not the one that is really known. If we can recognize that in people without the spiritual part, we recognize that that happens in people. Why can't it happen to Christians? That that old man who's supposed to be dead sometimes pops back up. But I know I have died to myself. Boop! Uh-oh. I'm dead to self again. Boop! Uh-oh. But then the new man in me, Christ, shows up to help me overcome that old man that keeps wanting to pop up, pop up. But the Christ in me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, overcomes that old man. That I can say, as Paul said, that old man is dead, is crucified with Christ. No longer does he live, but Christ lives in me. No longer does that old man in me rule me, but Christ rules my life. And that's something we have to see and we have to identify with. So in Galatians 5.21, he says it in this fashion. Boy, let me get there. Get these eyes adjust. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not catch it now will not, if you live like that, you can't forsake these things. You, I'm not saying, boy, they're all gone at once. But you should be able to see in each one of these areas, there's a difference in your life. And you don't desire those things. They don't have a hook in you where they're constantly drawing you. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, catch this now, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So something has to change. You can't live that way and think you're going to heaven because the scripture makes it very clear they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, go over to Second Peter with me. One four. Second Peter. One four. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise, so that through them ye may participate. Now look how look what's happening. That you may participate. That you may live differently. You may. Behave differently. Why? You're participating in something totally different and something totally new. He says that you may participate in the divine nature. And look what he says there. And escape the corruption of the world. 
caused by evildoers. That you're going to participate, you're going to live, you're going to have your actions within the realm of a divine nature. Boy, you got to recognize that there's that change in you. Now, if there's no change in you, and that divine nature is not there to overcome that old nature, I want to suggest something to you that you may accept and may not. You're not saved. You're not saved. I'm not saying that you can't struggle. But if this is your joy and this is your delight and this is what you really ravish over orgies and so forth and there's nothing in you that says you want to get away from this. You want to get away from an adulterous life. That you want to get away from all this wild sexual stuff and this drinking and this stuff that really hinders you. There's nothing in there that says I want to stop this. I want to stop this. Lord help me. Lord help me. Then I want to suggest to you you're not saved. Because when you are saved you're going to know where your help comes from in order to overcome those issues and those problems that you're dealing with. And he says, you have been given a new nature. Second thing you got to recognize, you've been given a new nature. You're a new creature with a new nature. And the third thing is a new meaning or purpose for living. And in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he simply said that whatever I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I have a purpose. I, my purpose is to glorify God in all that I do to glorify the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus Christ to glorify the Trinity this Godhead this Christian life glorify his church build up his church glorify his kingdom that everything that I do I have a purpose of building on this thing that God has given unto me in this new life to focus on him and do everything that will glorify him and his work. Those three things are pertinent to really recognize that you have a new, that you are a new creature, you've been given a new nature, and you truly want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to glorify God. Now, when you come to Paul, we're going to see a huge transition that takes place and, 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 and I want you to see it because I want you to look at ourselves we want to look at ourselves we want you to look at yourself I want you to see what happens with Paul boy Paul in chapter 9 we all know the Damascus Road story Paul getting knocked off his horse and so forth and Paul is sent to a person to help him to receive his sight now, you have to understand Paul's old life. Paul was out to destroy everything that Jesus was building. He was out to destroy Christianity before it was really even known as Christianity. He was just out to destroy anything 
that had this person, Jesus, in. And those who would speak about Jesus, he wanted to throw them in prison and not kill them. Now, in 9.13, this is what we hear. He says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. Now, what Ananias has heard is about Paul's old life when he's called Saul. And a lot of people who may have known you know about your old life. As I was sharing with you, a friend has some pictures of us sitting around, drinking, partying, and so forth. So people know also your old life. And Ananias says, I've heard about this man that you want me to meet. And it's like Ananias is questioning the Lord. Lord, do you really know this Saul? Do you know how terrible he he is? Do you know what he's been doing to those who named the name of Christ? But Paul was told to go see Ananias. And Ananias is a little bit reluctant in receiving this guy by the name of Saul. But in 13, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. That's not making sense to Ananias that you want me to help this man who has been given authority to arrest us and take us to prison. Now you want us to help him. What God sometimes asks you to do, it don't make much sense. When I was asked to quit my job at Chrysler and go to school. That wouldn't make much sense. I, I had worked all my life to get in that type of a position and make the kind of money that I was making. And now you're saying quit this place and go somewhere else. Oh, boy, it took a lot. Me and God, we had to argue about that and talk about that and put some things to the test. I mean, that's not what I wanted to hear. And sometime in your life, there's going to be things you don't want to hear from God. But God is going to tell you, do it. And that's what's taking place with Ananias and Paul. Now, listen to what he says to Paul. The Lord, in verse 11, he says, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Paul in the, in the vision have seen this Ananias coming to him to place his hands on his eyes 
that would restore his sight. Now, stay with me here all. When you truly become saved, and you really begin to understand Scripture, and you are truly walking with the Lord, you're going to see life differently than what you saw it in your past life. And what he does, he blinds Saul for a moment, then gives new sight to this new guy by the name of Paul, that Paul would see things differently than what Saul saw things. Paul is going to have a different attitude because he has a new nature. He has a divine nature. And he's going to see things totally different than that Saul who did not have a divine nature, who did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, who did not have scripture in him, and did not have the experience where God closed his eyes and reopened his eyes that he might see things differently than what he saw them before. And in Paul's new life, he sees things differently. Come down to verse 17 with me as we just follow Paul a little bit, 17 through 22 in Acts chapter 9. He said, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again. So Paul really was blind. And he said, I've come that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, two things, not only sight, but also being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's going to see differently, but he also has a new teacher. Under Paul's old life, he was taught by Gamaliel. He was taught by other individuals. Now he got a divine teacher. He got the Holy Spirit, the God himself, in him, teaching him. You have in the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, in you, teaching you. And he's going to open these eyes that you see things totally different. And he goes on, he says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Look at the first thing he does. He gets up, and he was baptized. Paul was out to kill these folks that were being baptized in the name of Jesus. He was out to destroy these folks. What does he do? He follows them. That same example. He is baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, go with me a little further. Because in verse 19, look what happens. Saul spent several days with the disciples. Now, 
Saul spent seven days with who? The disciples. He came to kill the disciples. He came to capture them and put them in prison. And now he's sitting down, hearing them, breaking bread with them. Can you see the different life? The total change in Saul, what he once was? And he says, Saul spent several days with the disciples, those who he come to arrest, those he come to destroy in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue. Wait a minute, this man learned anything. Oh, yes, he has. The Holy Spirit is taking the knowledge that Paul has of Old Testament, the philosophies, and Paul's going to use them all differently than how he has used them in the past. And it says, Paul begins to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. Who did he meet on the road? Damascus, the Son of God. And that's what he's preaching, that Jesus really is the Son of God. Now go back to Peter. Peter, blessed are you, because this has not been revealed to you by what? By man, but by my Father who is in heaven. And here's Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, now speaking with a new nature, new character, and convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Boy, that's him. Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? He was once totally against this name, but now he is what? Preaching and convincing others that Jesus is what? The Son of God. And he's convinced of that. May not have a whole lot of more information. But he's convinced that he's the Son of God. And that's where it starts with you and I. Are we really convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are we truly convinced? And we're going to look at this later on with the blind man in John chapter 9 that he's convinced he, he don't have a lot of theology he, he, he's not a scribe uh, he's not a Pharisee he, he's not a lawyer uh, but he knows one thing that this man could not have done what he had done in his life if he were were not of God if Jesus was not of God because, and he makes the statement, God doesn't listen to sinners. <laughs> but we're going to walk through that whole process. But he recognized that Jesus did something in his life that changed his life. Are you recognizing that Jesus has done something in your life to change your life? If you don't recognize that, you're not born again. 
you're not really saved. But when you can really confess that he's done something in your life that you are convinced of that he has done it. He's did it. No one else. And you're convinced of it. And Paul is convinced here. And he's preaching in the synagogue to those who he was out to destroy that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. By doing what? Proving. Jesus says, how did he do that? By convincing him, or convincing though, this Jesus knocked me off my horse. This Jesus blinded me. This Jesus gave me a vision of where to go. This Jesus had a man come to me and restore my sight. This Jesus filled me with the Holy Spirit. Can you see those things that Paul, that happened in his life, that convinced him that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, what is it that's happening in your life or has happened in your life that you can truly say has convinced you that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus really is your Savior? That Jesus really is the coming king. What are those things? Paul could list them. Of what happened to him. He hasn't been out in the desert. Of Arabia yet with Jesus. He hasn't really met a Barnabas. Who's going to help develop him. All Paul knows that he was knocked off his horse. He was blind. He wakes up with a new and different attitude. He sees things differently. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit, that he's been baptized. His sight has been restored. He's preaching with power to prove to people that Jesus is the Son of God. Boy, what a drastic change. But I want to say, share this with you. Paul had to accept that. What may have happened if Paul would not have went where Jesus sent him? What would have happened if Paul would have not allowed Ananias to touch those eyes? What would have happened if Paul were not filled with the Holy Spirit and rejected it all? See, you and I, God doesn't make robots out of us. Are you willing to accept truth? Paul was willing to accept truth. And the truth was, I was knocked off my horse. I just didn't jump off my horse. The truth was that I was made blind. I didn't do something that caused myself to be blind. And I didn't do anything to cause myself to receive sight. 
I didn't give myself the Holy Spirit. Someone else gave me the Holy Spirit. I didn't just start preaching to prove that Jesus was the Son of God a few days ago. I was trying to hunt these folks down. And now look what I'm doing. And he had to accept what was happening in his life. How many of you accept what God is doing in your life? Or are you still running away? You're denying it and you wonder why life is all mixed up for you and troublesome to you. You have to come to a place in life where you yourself are willing to accept the changes that God is willing to make in your life. He don't force them on you. You have to be willing to accept them and be convinced that it's a work of God that's taking place in your life and be convinced that the scripture is what's convicting you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I pray that God would work in all of our life. He's still working in mine. I have a long way to go. And I recognize that. But I know I'm not what I used to be. I know that my heart beats for the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I want to glorify him, but sometimes I'm puzzled on, Lord, how is this going to happen? How are you going to use me? And then sometime I'm in the desert, like Israel. That's just part of the Christian journey. It'd be nice if we could always live on the mountaintop. But there has to be some valley experience for good growth. And I pray that you would be convinced in your own heart and in your own mind and you are persuaded by the Holy Spirit that you are born again, that God wants to bless you, God wants to use you. I pray that you would be convinced of that and that scripture is true and it will help you to identify who you are in Christ and what God will have you to do. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for allowing me to just share with you what I believe God's word is saying. And anything that I've said, I hope you go back and check the scripture here. Check that life of Peter in Matthew 16. Check Paul's life here in Acts 9. Look at it. Look at it over and over. That these men had to surrender to who was working in their life. And be convinced that it was God. I hope you will really look who's really working in your life and be convinced that it's God. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you're doing in each and every one of us. For, Lord, you tell us that we all must come as little children because children come with a learning heart. They come, Lord, desiring to be curious and to know. And they are explorers. They they just run into things sometimes. 
Lord, help us to have that mind of a child. That we want to explore, we want to dig, we want to know more of you. Let us not be satisfied thinking just because I'm grown or I'm old or I'm this age or that age that I have it all. Lord, help us to realize we are still growing. And we are a people who have to be convinced and persuaded in our own heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. Would you do that work in us, Lord? Would you continue to show yourself, reveal yourself? And I might even use the word, prove yourself that you're the one working in our lives for your namesake and for your glory. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. I, I, I just pray again that something was said that will spark, that will challenge, that will cause you to really take a good look and understand if you're born again or not. Be confident that the scriptures are true. God bless you. Have a good week in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bye-bye.